0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk
1: Radio Network, its staff, and management.
0: Welcome to the best thing on the internet, house talk with Duncan Smythe. Whether you're planning to buy or sell a house, call in now with your question. Our goal is to help you with any real estate transaction, so turn off the cat videos and pay attention. Here's your host, Duncan Smythe. Welcome to House Talk. I'm Duncan
2: Smythe. Our number is 866-472-5788 if you'd like to call in with a question. My guest today is Nathan Stremick. He's with Coldwell Banker First Minot Realty in Minot, North Dakota. Welcome to the show, Nathan.
3: Hi, how are you doing today?
2: i'm really good you know i'm really fascinated by what's going on in north dakota uh everybody has read stories about uh what's happening there with the oil boom going on and it sounds like you're right in the thick of it up there is that true
3: yes we are we are right in the middle of everything that's going on
2: tell me how it started
3: i guess i don't exactly know how it started just uh Slowly over time, I think North Dakota has always had oil, but we haven't been the producer or producing the volume that we have over the last couple of years. But now that they have the new technology of frac- fracking, which I don't exactly know how that works, but mm-hmm. um, that is why that technology has made um, the oil boom happen in North Dakota.
2: So was the Bakken oil field, is that a new discovery or is it just a different, like a different area or do they just uh, find new technology? Is that all there is to it?
3: New technology, I guess the Bakken is a formation of the oil at a certain area where the, mm-hmm. the oil was hard to get to or they almost couldn't get to it before is how I understand it. And now with this new technology, they're able to do this horizontal fracting, and um I've read a little out that they weren't able to get out before.
2: Yeah, I've read a little bit about that. Uh, but I keep hearing these crazy stories about people just jumping in their cars and driving to North Dakota and getting $100,000 a year jobs. Is that pretty much true?
3: Nah, no, 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 there isn't a $100,000 job. I mean, there's some up here. I'd say, you know, you're going to have to have experience or, I mean, maybe 3 to 5 percent of the jobs you might be able to get a $100,000 salary, but you're probably looking at it closer. I mean, the laborers that are coming up here are still getting paid good anywhere from, you know, 20 to $25 an hour starting out and you don't even need much experience. Wow,
0: that's and then the pretty hours,
3: cool. you know, some people are used to the 40-hour work week. Well, some of these guys are able to work up to 80 to 90 hours a week if you want it. I mean, the work is there. It's just um, how much a person wants to work at some of these jobs.
2: Do you know how many people have actually come up to your area in the last five years?
3: I guess I couldn't tell you a number. I mean, the population growth, of Williston is about 100 miles from us, and that's mm-hmm. a smaller town that, you know, wasn't much before the oil. There were probably about um, 14,000 people in, in the last... Uh, Last three years, I mean, they've gained up there about around 20 to 25,000 people, the population has. So they've gained quite a bit of people just from the oil.
2: Yeah, I checked the the census data, and the census data said that between 2010 and 2013, uh, the population increased about 50,000 people. That seems, you know, it seems to me if you drop 50,000 people in Los Angeles, nobody would even notice. But dropping 50,000 people in North Dakota has got to be a trauma to the area.
3: Yes, it's definitely our, our school systems, our infrastructure, um, everything is just kind of blowing up from it, and we're just trying to find a way to deal with it. It's it, it, You can definitely de- notice how many people are here, that is for sure.
2: Really? A traffic increase?
3: Traffic increase, yeah. People used to go across town, you know, take a minute or two to go across town. Now it's 10 or 15 minutes, which doesn't sound wow. a lot for someone that's coming from an area where their commute might be a half hour to an hour, but for yeah. us that we're used to getting in the car and driving and being somewhere yeah. in two minutes, it definitely makes a difference.
2: Yeah, 15 minutes in New Jersey is like that. That's like a breath of fresh air <laughs> to commute <laughs> for 15 minutes. But I, I get it. I totally get it. So not only are there a lot of oil jobs, but I guess that's just spawned a lot of other jobs. I mean, who works at McDonald's if you, have, if you suddenly have three times the business?
3: Exactly. And that's the hardest part. Um, uh, is finding these employees and finding people to staff all this stuff that we need the restaurants the hotels that are coming to town on um, the hospitals that's another big thing uh oh, the for hospitals. example for example nurses nurses are a huge shortage in in Minot right now and we're even getting nurses from around the country and if around the country isn't been done enough they'll even get they have an uh, influx of nurses from the Philippines over here working oh, wow. just to fill those positions
2: wow Okay, well, I've got a whole bunch of questions I want to ask you, but we have a caller on the line. Uh, Ellen from New York, let's take their call. Hi, Ellen, you're on House Talk.
1: Hi, Duncan. Hi. I'm listening to your your show, and I'm interested in the real estate market in North Dakota with, with this. I think you just said that approximately 50,000 people have moved into the area in the last couple of years. So how is that affecting their real estate market, is there enough inventory? Are they renting? Are they buying?
2: Nathan, that's for you.
1: I guess uh, it's,
3: we're building about as fast as you can build right now. I mean, um, supply and demand has driven prices way up. I mean, for example, in 2009, our average sold price in our MOS was around $170,000. And 2013, I think our sold price was 253000 Wow. <laughs> so if you can see where wow. that, I mean, about 50% has driven up the prices in four years. I mean, that's pretty phenomenal. And that goes for renting and everything as much.
1: The same. So is there a market now for real estate agents? I mean, is it worth it for, for an agent, let's say, from the East Coast to move to North Dakota to, to become an agent out there with that influx of people?
3: Yes. The the real estate market's very good out here. Um, why not in a lot of the smaller towns that didn't have real estate companies, that is where you're seeing a lot of these agents come from. Uh, I've seen ones from Arizona and Texas and Florida and different stuff like that are coming and settling in these small towns and starting companies there because they had nothing before, um, this boom happened.
1: And so there must be a lot
3: of new construction. Yep. A ton of new construction. Um, for example, in Minot, the hotels—I uh, mean, for as long as I can remember—the hotels we had about 100 or 1,600 rooms. And since about, I use that 2009 because that's about when a lot of things started take off, give or take a year there. Since 2009, we have now we have over 3,200 hotel rooms, so it's doubled, just the wow. hotels. Wow. Wow.
1: So, as far as an investment, it would be a, a good opportunity for someone to just buy property to rent, are rentals as as much in demand as sales?
3: Yes, especially in some. I mean, um, a lot of people are buying houses and different stuff like that, too. But a lot of these guys that come up here travel with the oil boom. So they're here for as long as it's going to last, and they don't want to buy a house. They want to be able to move. I mean, for example, I have a sixplex listed in Tioga. That's one of the smaller places. Um, smaller right. towns, and I mean, right now it'd be—it's for sale at like a sixteen percent cap rate, which I think is pretty much unheard of in other parts wow. of the country. And you're able to pick up um, investment properties up here from thirteen to fifteen, sixteen percent.
1: Wow. Well, it sounds like it's a good opportunity for real estate agents. I'll have to give it a little thought.
3: Yes, it's definitely a booming area. That's for sure.
1: Okay. Well, thanks very much,
3: Ellen. Thanks no so problem. much for your call.
2: Okay. Yeah, that that's interesting. So it's uh I imagine that most people coming there for a job really can't afford to buy a house, so they're looking for a place to rent.
1: Yes,
3: most it seems like uh, a lot of the people that are coming in the I mean, the rental market is very hot. Apartments we have coming up um tons of building in the the apartment the multifamily stuff
2: like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, because we've heard we've heard stories about housing is nearly impossible to find, and they have camps for people. We heard stories of people living in their cars. Is that still true?
3: Yes, I mean when it first started in two thousand nine, you might have heard more about that. But mm-hmm. along with the oil boom up here, we also have the weather. Like today, it was eleven degrees, so living in your car really <laughs> isn't even feasible. You know, <laughs> yeah. but if you come up in the summertime out in the Wa- you know, some people were spending nights in the Walmart parking lot just looking to get started. Wow. Um, you know, find the job or see where they're gonna land.
2: Are people even renting rooms in their own homes just uh, for the money or to uh, to take up the slack?
3: There was some of that. Now, um, with all these hotel rooms, I would say that more people are choosing a hotel room over renting out of someone else's houses. Now that we've finally caught up, the hotel rooms and everything have caught up to where, probably closer to where they should be.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, you were talking about new construction. Uh, is most of the new construction is it single family homes apartment buildings uh you know multifamily what, what are they
3: building a mixed bag of everything um anything from commercial office space to single family homes to um townhouses and duplexes department buildings everything is pretty much being built up here. you can find it wow wow
2: that's great so t- tell me uh, you mentioned the average price of a house was up into the t- around two fifty or so what would a condo cost they had two bedroom Two-bedroom condo.
3: The average on that, you might be around that 200 to 220 mark. I'd say probably close to that 220, especially if you're in that new construction area.
2: I got an email question. Um, Sam in Connecticut wrote me an email saying, with the increase in building, are you seeing a lot of prefabricated homes?
3: A little bit. Um, Not so much more in Minot, here they they still do. I mean, there's a little bit of demand, but most of the stuff I have been seeing is mostly stick built.
2: Most, yeah, okay, yeah. I was just looking at uh, the uh, census data. It said that 50,000 increase. The population increased in the U.S. at 2.4 percent between 2010 and 2013. North Dakota was 7.6 percent, uh, and North Dakota now has the lowest unemployment in the nation. You're really you are really the envy of every other state because a lot of states are having problems with unemployment right now, of course. Yes. But I have this, you know, it's funny. I've never been to North Dakota. I'd love to get there. I have this picture in my mind of quiet plains extending for miles with very few inhabitants, maybe some cattle, maybe a few cars, sort of a pastoral uh, view. Has that image sort of blown up?
3: (laughs) Yeah. um, I guess it's, it's still like that. I mean, we have so much land up here and everything like that, but now you'll just see the landscape out in western North Dakota dotted with oil rigs and more traffic and trucks, and, mm-hmm. and um, it used to not be there. A lot more truck traffic, and that also has posed for some of our rural roads, posed the problem.
2: Yeah, I can, I can imagine. So um, housing prices are up, traffic is up. How's crime?
4: Crime, I mean,
3: really with more people, you're going to see more crime, but I don't think it's a big problem. We haven't seen it as much as some people may think the crime and stuff up here um take the good with the bad but i don't think it's been that bad
2: okay uh let's go to a break i'm speaking with nathan Stremick. if you'd like to contact nathan in north dakota uh his email address is nathans.minot at gmail.com that's n-a-t-h-a-n-s dot m-i-n-o-t at gmail.com nathan will be back with me after the break i'm duncan smythe this is house talk
0: the internet's number one talk station number one talk station Voiceamerica.com. if you like what you're hearing on the show today or if you have a question or comment for duncan contact him on twitter at housetalkguy or email him at housetalkguy at gmail.com Duncan's book, Colossal Mistakes Home Sellers Make, is available at colossalmistakes.com or through any online bookseller. Duncan can also help you choose an outstanding real estate agent in your area. If you'd like Duncan to recommend a great local realtor for you, go to his website, duncansmythe.com, and click on Recommend a Realtor.
5: Hi, I'm Joe Galita, President of Millennium Home Mortgage. We know that owning a home is the American dream, and we are here to make that dream come true for you. With years of experience and exceptional customer service, we will help you navigate the often murky waters of the mortgage industry, working hard to find a mortgage program that's best for you. For more information, go to mhmlender.com Millennium Home Mortgage, the first place to go for a mortgage.
0: Many people are seeking to make a difference in the world, but few actually have the tools to do so. Every week, host Mary Beth Lodge and her guests will have you thinking forward and will give you the tips to keep your life goals, priorities, and choices on track. The result is an easier, happier, and more inspired life. The name of the program is What Matters. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What really matters is the positive changes that you'll bring to your life and the world just by listening. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspiring really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to House Talk with Duncan Smythe. To reach our show, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to housetalkguy at gmail.com. Or tweet Duncan at House Talk Guy. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, House Talk with Duncan Smythe. Now, back to the show. My guest,
2: Nathan Stremick of Coldwell Banker First Minot Realty in Minot, North Dakota. And we have a caller on the line. Uh, Allison, you're on. Allison, welcome to House Talk.
6: Hi, Duncan. How are
2: you? I'm good. Oh,
6: good. I have a quick question about, about real estate in North Dakota. Yeah. What type of construction is going up in that area? It's a boom town, so I know it's, is it a lot of, is a lot of single efficiencies or single-family homes? Who are the people that are moving to the area? Nathan?
3: Yeah, you're getting a lot of uh, single-family homes, um, apartment buildings, multifamily buildings. Are you talking more about the housing or more about, like, commercial as far as businesses and stuff like that, too?
6: Well, I remember seeing a story a couple of years ago about um, the beginning of the boomtowns in the area, and you know, men were men were flocking to the area to get jobs. A lot were living in their cars or living four to a hotel room because there just wasn't enough living space for people. So I was wondering how it's changed.
3: The housing's kind of caught up with it. I mean, you have the hotels that finally we have enough hotel rooms that they're just here for a little bit. But I mean, a lot of these um, oil towns and different stuff like that, they'll have man camps where pretty much it's just by a bunch of trailers out in the middle of a field or vacant land that they have, you know, they'll have a bunch of uh, employees living in these things. You might get 100 people living in this little um, parcel of land that's just full of trailers.
6: So if I owned a house already, previous construction, in the area, did that mean that the price of it went up? Yeah, it went up dramatically. It, it probably went up at least 50% in the last three years. So now I guess your job is to figure out what the next boomtown is going to be across the U.S. <laughs> and buy you wish real estate you'd, there. you
2: wish you'd bought real estate a few years ago, didn't you?
6: Now I do, yes.
3: <laughs> if you figure that out, give me a call.
6: <laughs> definitely Oh, thank you
2: <laughs> thank you thanks for calling Allison uh, we have another call on hold David from New York David hi you're on House Talk
4: hi Duncan um, so uh, this is related to the caller you just had I think a, a little bit but uh, I understand there's uh, a bit of a boom going on in some parts of North Dakota with mm. some energy development and business process outsourcing. Uh, being from New York, I really know nothing about that market. And I'm just thinking, even before I get started, if I just ask you, where, how would you start investigating a market and what are the key things you would look for before venturing into it for house hunting and so forth?
2: Well, if you're asking me, the, the, the question is, trying to figure out where the next boom town is, which sort of feeds yeah. into a, the question from Allison. And right. at this point, I don't know that it's, I, I would say uh, from what Nathan is saying, I don't think it's too late to invest there. Would you say that, Nathan?
3: No, I would not say it's too late. I mean, if you come up here and see the building that's still going on, um, I mean, no one's, pull, no one's pulling back any, the weather's slowed stuff down up here because it's a lot tougher to build and everything like that. But I think everything is still moving forward. Um, It's just finding that
2: right property that fits your needs, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm I so, was, I, there, were, there are obvious comparisons, I'm thinking, of this in the Alaskan pipeline back in the 70s when the area was flooded with people. The only difference is that was finite. That was a three- or four-year project that was done, whereas this is more of a permanent thing. I mean, you've got oil. That may be a thousand-year supply of oil. Who knows? I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah, David, were you—
4: is there some advice on living there first? It's something that crossed my mind. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if the, the opportunities are always going to be permanent or if it's a one or two or three year contract or you might want to go out there for a couple of years. And if you don't like it, you're, you might come back. What's your view on temporary housing versus permanent housing?
2: Nathan, for someone want that. Coming
4: out here to work or for someone that's coming out here to invest? This is, I'm sorry, I'm talking about working out there. So I'm not really focused on investment uh, per se, although certainly it is an investment. So, uh, I, but I'm thinking uh, business process outsourcing in particular, I know of opportunities out there. Uh, but again, it's cold out there, right? So I'm not sure about that it hasn't been cold in the Northeast. but uh, how, So what's the, the, the view of temporary housing versus permanent housing for a living arrangement. So do you as a real estate uh as a real real estate advisor would you say go out and find an apartment and live there for a while or would you say no, go out and invest or, or buy a property because the expectations are trends are that it would pay
3: off over a couple of years. I would say while you're getting started up here, maybe um, I'd say renting would probably be more efficient for you. Um, In the words, at least then you would be into a year lease or something like that, and you have the option to move around and find which part of western North Dakota is going to be the best fit for you, your business, and the opportunity you're trying to pursue. Right. So part
4: of that answer
3: certainly depends on...
4: Uh, Do I think I'm going to be a permanent employee somewhere in North Dakota? And I'm not sure I'm going to do this, but this is an an option that I know I've got. Um, So if I think I'm going to be a permanent employee, it's still reasonable to go out there and live for a couple of years to make sure you know the environment. And it also reduces the risk that if you really don't like it, you can come back. So that makes sense. Is that common from your perspective? Do you see people doing that type of thing? Uh, Because, again, I'm carrying quite a few people that I know and some of the work that I do moving to North Dakota, actually.
3: I would say a lot more people come up here um, at least find temporary housing before they move right into a permanent housing. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because they are moving around, if you're moving a family up here, um, trying to figure out where you're going to be living and where's the best fit for you, uh, because we have all these different towns. I mean, you could be in Minot, which is kind of the... The hub, we have the airport, um, you know, university, it's a little bit bigger area than Williston or Tioga or Stanley, and as you find out, if you're going to want to commute that 40 miles back and forth, if you're going to be working right in Minot, um, what you're going to do, a lot of people will find that temporary housing first, find out where they want to be, and then move into the permanent housing next, right. in my recommendation.
4: Okay. And that's a, that's an important viewpoint. So you're answering my question here. Of course, the next question is, okay, how do I get smarter? And I can go on websites. I can go on Duncan's website. I can go on other websites and just put in Google searches and so forth. But is there anything you can recommend specifically about
3: North Dakota? Other other than checking on the internet, I guess is start to talk to contacts, people that have been there, people that are living there, working there, and everything like that, and trying to get as much information as you can from their experiences, good or bad, so the, you can help make the same decisions. Mm-hmm. Very good.
2: And my advice there is uh, your first course of action would be to contact Nathan. Uh, we've got his email address, which I will give again, and uh, or you can contact him through my show page. And if you have more questions, you can send them an email and uh, call them on the phone and develop a relationship. Very good. David, thank you so much for your call. Great. Thanks very much. Thank you. Uh, Nathan, I'm looking at, uh, I'm thinking that you're a lifelong native of North Dakota. And I'm thinking this has got to be a huge change for you, sort of a big impact on your life. Is there any, uh, for the people who've been there a long time, the native uh, North Dakotans, is there any, um, like a feeling of resentment like a feeling that uh, that these in- newcomers have screwed things up?
3: You Where might everybody- see some people that uh, think that, but I think more just a positive for the community, positive for the state. Um, a lot of people, as you know, around the other parts of the nation aren't doing so good. They have the higher unemployment rates, harder to oh, find yeah. a job. Definitely. And I think when you hear about those stories coming up to North Dakota – and then how we're sitting with as many jobs sitting in front of us as we want, I think you really opened your eyes and you're happy with the situation we have in front of us.
2: So I guess the, I guess the prosperity outweighs the, the negatives. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the schools for a few minutes. Uh, we were, we started we touched on that before, but how are the school systems coping?
3: I guess I think it was right in November we just had a bond issue for about $125 if I recall, that was Mm -hmm. shut down. But, I mean, the schooling system, we are looking for ways, funding. We definitely need more schools um, or to build a couple more schools right now. All over, it's kind of maximum capacity, and if they aren't max capacity right now in the next, uh, you know, three to five years, they're all going to be maximum capacity by the way the figures and statistics look if they keep growing at this rate.
2: Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, um, I think you've probably run out of teachers by now.
3: Yep, teachers are another thing. I mean, before it used to be, uh, you know, to get a teaching job in North Dakota and some of these schools was a little tougher because it is a solid job for everyone. Well, right now it, we have people moving all from all over, to come and teach and help fill these classrooms. Schools are full, and we've even brought in mobile or portable classrooms. I think right now the Minot Public School District has around 24 portable classrooms that are just put outside, kind of like almost a manufactured classroom outside some of these schools.
2: Wow. How many different uh, municipalities or school zones or school areas are affected, do you know?
3: I wouldn't even know for sure. Um, I mean, all the school systems in western North Dakota are affected, I guess, to answer the question. There isn't, in the area where the oil boom is happening and everything like that, they're all experiencing major growth in the school system. For example, Stanley, which is another oil company, or I don't know, a company, oil town, um, I sold them an apartment building, I think it was a five-plex, for them to house their teachers in just because they couldn't get teachers to come to town. They had nowhere decent to live. They had to they had to
2: provide housing for them to get to lure the teachers. Yep. Well, that that makes sense. If you if you give them housing, that'll at least uh, it, you know. Why would I move there if I have no place to live? That's what the first thing that I would be thinking.
3: Exactly, ease some of the burden for them.
2: Well, um, Nathan, it's been great having you as a guest on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. I, I urge my listeners. Anyone who wants further information about this can contact Nathan if you have any interest whatsoever in moving to that area or uh, want more information on what's going on in North Dakota. Uh, My guest has been Nathan Stremick, and it is S-T-R-E-M-I-C-K, and the email address is nathans.minot at gmail.com. That's N-A-T-H-A-N-S dot M-I-N-O-T at gmail.com if you'd like to contact him, or go to my show page here on Voice America, and I'll be glad to put you in contact with Nathan. Nathan, thank you so much. Thanks, Duncan. Take care. Uh, We're going to go to a break now. Uh, I'm Duncan Smythe, and this is House Talk.
0: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. If you like what you're hearing on the show today, or if you have a question or comment for Duncan, contact him on Twitter at HouseTalkGuy or email him at HouseTalkGuy at gmail.com. Duncan's book, Colossal Mistakes Home Sellers Make, is available at ColossalMistakes.com or through any online bookseller. Duncan can also help you choose an outstanding real estate agent in your area. If you'd like Duncan to recommend a great local realtor for you, go to his website, DuncanSmythe.com, and click on Recommend a Realtor.
5: Hi, I'm Joe Galita, President of Millennium Home Mortgage. We know that owning a home is the American dream, and we are here to make that dream come true for you. With years of experience and exceptional customer service, we will help you navigate the often murky waters of the mortgage industry, working hard to find a mortgage program that's best for you. For more information, go to mhmlender.com, Millennium Home Mortgage, the first place to go for
0: a mortgage. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to House Talk with Duncan Smythe. To reach our show, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to housetalkguy at gmail.com. Or tweet Duncan at House Talk Guy. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. House Talk with Duncan Smythe. Now, back to the show. Okay, we're back with House Talk. Uh,
2: I want to talk about environmental issues. I promised last week this is what we were going to talk about. Um, Some of the conditions of your house that will be detected during a home inspection are more serious and could require immediate attention due to their potential to infect the environment. Uh, These issues usually have to be addressed prior to closing. So educating yourself about them is really the prudent thing to do as a seller. These problems may be handled differently in different regions of the country. So you're gonna to wanna to check with your realtor or your, uh, your real estate attorney if you're using one to see what your legal obligations and the liabilities are in your state. But your realtor will be able to advise you uh, because they, we deal with this every day. One huge mistake is not addressing environmental concerns before you list your house for sale. Uh, If if you as a seller are aware of any of these conditions in your home, arrange to have the situation remediated before you put your house on the market. Because once these issues are revealed in the structural inspection, uh, the buyers, their realtor and their attorney, are going to want to be involved in every step of the process. The buyers can insist on being informed of any remedial action that's being taken. They may want to be present to observe how work is being done. Their attorney might demand the right to select whatever contractor is used for the project. Having remediation done before listing the house for sale might save you a lot of time, a lot of money, and certainly a lot of aggravation. So let's talk first about underground oil tanks. Underground oil tanks They have been a major problem. They can really be a big problem and they've caused a lot of headaches for a lot of people. Uh, For many years, oil tanks for home heating oil were buried on the property. This process has been largely abandoned, uh, using instead a tank in the basement of a house or in some rural areas, you'll see them above ground. Uh, The primary reason for this is the potential for rusting and leakage. Older tanks may deteriorate over a long period of time and develop cracks or holes. This is usually undetectable to the homeowner until a soil test is done, which shows the leakage. Even small amounts of oil can foul the environment, possibly affecting your water supply. And in extreme cases, we've seen entire suburban neighborhoods that have been contaminated and rendered drinking water uh, undrinkable. If your home is currently heated by oil from an underground tank, the best course of action is to buy oil tank insurance before you put the house on the market. Now, you may already be insured by your oil supply company, but you definitely want to confirm this. Some homes currently heated by natural gas may have been converted from oil to gas heat at some point. I know this is really common in the Northeast. And it's very especially common in older homes. And here's a question that home buyers are sure to ask, and every seller should know the answer. Is there an abandoned oil tank on your property? If the answer is yes, you're going to have to prove that it was legally abandoned. Uh, In some jurisdictions, in many jurisdictions, there are legal requirements requiring that the town or the county issue a permit, perform an inspection, that sort of thing. In some areas, pumping the tank dry and filling it with sand is acceptable, while in other regions, removal of the tank is compulsory. You're going to have to check with your realtor on, uh, what's what legal status is in your area if the answer is no and you're sure there's no underground tank the buyers may still want to perform an inspection which involves sweeping the yard with a metal detector or performing a soil test this is entirely reasonable if you were buying the house you could also insist on it in many areas buyers are demanding that underground tanks be removed although this is not inexpensive it's the one It's the only way to be certain that there is absolutely no contamination. Now, cleanup of oil contamination can be a monumental problem. Uh, And I have a quick story that really does not involve an underground tank, but it presents an extreme case and the result. Several years ago, a house not far from mine was receiving a, a delivery of heating oil. The tank, which was located in the basement of the house, was accidentally overfilled. Now, I don't know this was whether, whether this was human error or equipment failure, but oil flooded the basement and seeped through the basement walls and permeated the soil. This really created an environmental mess. The owners had to vacate the house for safety reasons, and the state environmental authorities had to get involved. Eventually, the house had to be demolished, and the contaminated soil completely excavated. I kept driving by here week after week, and there was this enormous hole in the ground. The homeowners, of course, had to find another place to live, and the house w- was demolished, and the entire situation became an insurance nightmare. It took years to settle. You really want to know in advance if you have an underground oil tank. Let's talk about asbestos. For a long time, asbestos was used for its fire resistant properties. Many years after its usage began, it was discovered to be carcinogenic. If inhaled, the fibrous material lodges in the lungs and remains in the lung tissue. Lengthy exposure may lead to cancer. Uh, In many cases, it has led to cancer. Prior to being restricted in the 1970s, asbestos was commonly used in roofing shingles, insulation, siding, ceiling tiles, and even other building materials. Now, asbestos doesn't usually present a health risk unless it's deteriorating. The greatest hazard arises when it's being removed. During the removal process, The dangerous fibers, uh, they are released into the air where they can be inhaled, and that is really a bad situation. If asbestos is discovered during a home inspection, the buyer is going to demand remediation. Uh, This is usually accomplished in one of two ways. Removal of the asbestos or some sort of encapsulation. Now, one thing, one giant mistake is attempting to remove asbestos yourself. You do not want to try that. This is not something you do yourself. It is extremely hazardous. Older homes frequently have asbestos insulation wrapped around basement pipes. This is very common. It may be very tempting to just pull it down and throw it in the garbage. Don't do this. This is a foolish thing to try. Remember, asbestos is the most dangerous when it's disturbed. The particles can become airborne, and you will inhale them. They're very small. If, you need, if you're going to have to have asbestos removed, you have to call a certified expert. There are people who remediate this. They're, they're experts. These are the guys you want to call, and you'll appreciate how dangerous the removal process is when you see the extent of the safety precautions they go to when they're removing asbestos. They're going to arrive at your house. They're going to drape the affected area with plastic sheeting to prevent the asbestos particles from, from dispersing, they're going to wear these hazmat suits, they look like space suits, and they wear those as they carefully remove the asbestos and haul it away in sealed containers. After ventilating the area thoroughly, they conduct an air quality test with electronic measuring devices. Uh, no one's going to be allowed back into the house until they have an acceptably low reading. This is the only safe way to complete this task. Do not do it yourself. The other method is to encapsulate the asbestos, and this works pretty well with pipes, especially for asbestos wrapped around pipes. Um, this process involves overwrapping the asbestos while leaving it on the pipes, and this has the added benefit of increased insulation. And this also may be less expensive than removal, but you want to consult with a certified specialist before you do any of that. Let's talk about lead paint. Lead poses a risk even in very small concentrations. The primary threat in in a home is in the form of lead-based paint. Lead-based paint was used on most homes built before 1940 and continued to be used in many homes built between 1940 and 1970. The use of lead-based paint was banned by the federal government in 1978. When lead-based paint is flaking, it can be ingested or inhaled and will then accumulate in the tissues and organs of the body. Damage to the central nervous system can result from high accumulation. Lead poses an even greater danger to children because of their lower body weight. The greatest danger with lead paint occurs when old paint is being removed by sanding. A fine lead dust becomes airborne and permeates the area being sanded. If you decide to do this yourself, be absolutely certain that you're wearing the proper protective equipment when you're doing the sanding. Make sure the room being sanded is very well ventilated and allow sufficient time after you're finished for the lead dust to dissipate completely and be absolutely certain that children or infants are not in the house during this process. Sellers of homes built before 1978 have to furnish information about the presence of lead-based paint to any prospective buyer. The buyers must also be allowed the opportunity to perform a lead-based paint inspection if they choose that. Uh, Your realtor will provide the required forms, and the buyers are given a pamphlet titled Protect Your Family from Lead in Your Home. This is required by federal law. This became a serious problem as children were allowed to chew on windowsills and then became very sick. Uh, In most cases, lead paint on interior walls is painted over with a paint that covers the lead paint, preventing it from flaking and chipping. Ask at Home Depot or Lowe's if the paint you're buying is sufficient to cover lead paint and minimize the possibility of exposure. Radon gas. Radon is a colorless, odorless gas that occurs naturally in the soil. It's the byproduct of decaying uranium. Radon enters your home through small openings such as tiny cracks in the foundation. Breathing radon increases your chances of developing lung cancer. It can also seep into groundwater, putting homes that use well water at risk. Radon exists in every state but it's more prevalent in certain areas. Uh, And most buyers will insist on a test to determine if radon is present. Remediation for radon is relatively inexpensive, because even at high levels, it can be successfully lowered with ventilation equipment. A radon remediation company can be found in any local phone directory or through your realtor. Mold and mildew. There are at least a thousand species of mold commonly found in the United States. Only a small percentage of these are associated with health-related problems. Everyone is exposed to many types of mold every day, both indoors and outdoors, and most people suffer no ill effects. But some people are very sensitive and may suffer cold-like symptoms, and in very rare cases, mold spores can cause serious illness. There is no practical way to eliminate mold. Uh, The best way to control it is by controlling moisture. Areas Areas of your house that are chronically damp are susceptible to mold and should be kept dry. The bottom line is no moisture, no mold. Keep it dry, you won't have mold. If a home inspector discovers or suspects mold, he's going to recommend a mold abatement, and any mold treatment or abatement must be carried out by a certified mold abatement company. Again, this is something that you don't do yourself. Um, Government inspections. There are government inspections involved. These are entirely separate from the buyer's structural inspection. The county or town where you reside has legal requirements for a property that is changing owners. Every state has building codes and your county or municipality has ordinances which have to be observed when a house is sold. This is a matter that your realtor is thoroughly familiar with and your realtor will help you prepare for these inspections. In some areas, a fire department inspection is necessary for smoke and carbon monoxide detectors. And in other jurisdictions, a full certificate of occupancy inspection may be mandatory. And there are always charges for these inspections, so keep that in mind. Okay, when we come back from the break, I have a couple of emails. Uh, So we'll talk after the break. I'm Duncan Smythe. This is House Talk.
0: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you like what you're hearing on the show today, or if you have a question or comment for Duncan, contact him on Twitter at HouseTalkGuy or email him at HouseTalkGuy at gmail.com. Duncan's book, Colossal Mistakes Home Sellers Make, is available at ColossalMistakes.com or through any online bookseller. Duncan can also help you choose an outstanding real estate agent in your area. If you'd like Duncan to recommend a great local realtor for you, go to his website, duncansmythe.com, and click on Recommend a Realtor.
5: Hi, I'm Joe Galita, President of Millennium Home Mortgage. We know that owning a home is the American dream, and we are here to make that dream come true for you. With years of experience and exceptional customer service, we will help you navigate the often murky waters of the mortgage industry working hard to find a mortgage program that's best for you. For more information, go to mhmlender.com, Millennium Home Mortgage, the first place to go for a mortgage. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein.
0: VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to House Talk with Duncan Smythe. To reach our show, call in to 1-866-472-5788 That's 1-866-472-5788 You may also send an email to housetalkguy at gmail.com or tweet Duncan at house talk guy. And don't forget to like us on Facebook house talk with Duncan Smythe. Now back to the show. Okay. We're back with house talk. I'm Duncan Smythe.
2: I got an email this week from Sandy in California. She writes that she recently bought a house and she's closing in several weeks. She just found out the date and wants to know how do I prepare for the closing? Well, first of all, Sandy, uh, You want to plan your move Uh, as soon as any seller has a closing date or buyer for that matter has a closing date or even if you've got a tentative closing date. The first step, the first thing you want to do is contact a moving company and make arrangements. You want to do this earlier rather than later as movers frequently have full schedules and it may be difficult to get the date you need. Uh, especially at the end of the month. The end of the month is normally the busiest time for movers. So the minute you find out what your closing date is going to be, when your realtor calls and says you're closing on the 30th, call the mover immediately. Finding a reliable, trustworthy mover is not always an easy thing to do. Although the majority of moving companies are honest and reputable, there are fly-by-night movers known for overcharging and dishonesty. I highly recommend calling the Better Business Bureau in your area to check their status. And another thing, I I really recommend Angie's List. I think Angie's List is a terrific resource whenever you're looking for someone to do a job at your house, uh, whether you're looking for a painter, a plumber, an electrician, uh, especially with a mover. Check out Angie's List. Your realtor can recommend uh, a mover, or if if you're using a real estate attorney, uh, they can recommend a, a dependable moving company that they've used before. You can always ask a friend. Uh, If you know someone who's moved recently, ask them if they liked their mover. Was the mover reliable? Were they dependable? Did they show up on time? Most importantly, did they overcharge you? Did they give you an estimate and then stick to the estimate? The mover is going to come to your house as soon as you call and look at everything in the house and and assess uh, how many people are necessary, how many boxes they'll need, that kind of thing. But you want to settle that all in advance, especially the money issue, because that becomes a touch point you're waiting to close now as the closing date approaches you're going to be busy packing and preparing for the move this is an extremely hectic time in your life whether you're a buyer or a seller there are a few matters that will have to be taken care of to make your, the transition as smooth as possible uh, IRS, i would say a week or 10 days before you want to call the mover you want to confirm everything confirm the date and the time you know This is always a confirmation and reconfirmation, never a bad idea because you never know if they might have written down the wrong date or or anything like that. You really want to reconfirm. Uh, Arrange to change the utilities. You'll need to call all the utility companies. Sellers, you want to have your name removed from the billing and switched over to the new owners. Buyers, you're going to have to call to arrange service or set up a new account. In some areas, readings are going to need to be taken uh, to close out your account. This is usually done about a week before uh, the closing is scheduled. Uh, The electric company, you're definitely going to have to call them. Uh, The gas company, if you're in an area that has uh, natural gas, you'll need to call them to change it over. If you have an oil provider who delivers your oil, uh, they're going to have to come and take a final reading. You'll need that for the closing. Water company, if you're not in an area where you have your own well water, You'll have to contact the water company to arrange that. Cable TV, of course. Everybody's got cable TV now. You don't want to be paying for cable TV uh, if you're not in the house. And if you're moving in, you definitely want to arrange that right away because uh, sometimes it might take a couple of weeks before someone can get there. So you want to set up that appointment as early as possible. Mail. You're going to have to stop at the post office to arrange for mail to be forwarded to your new address. And uh, you're going to find this process has gotten a little more difficult because due to identity theft, uh, they now verify everything. They'll probably ask you to provide ID of some kind, maybe a driver's license, and you're going to have to fill out an application and it has to be approved. It's more difficult than it used to be because there are security protocols in in process now, uh, so you don't get your identity stolen. At least uh, several days before, maybe at the beginning of the week if you're closing on a Friday, you want to call the phone company. Uh, to transfer or terminate or initiate service. Uh, they can usually do that. They're usually pretty quick about that. That's done electronically. They don't have to come out to do that, so that can be done pretty quickly. Um, garbage. If you're living in an area where you don't have garbage collected by your municipality, uh, you have to go and notify the garbage collector that you're leaving. You will probably owe him money. Newspaper delivery. If you're having still having a paper delivered, you're going to have to have that terminated. Homeowner's insurance. Buyers need to arrange for homeowner's insurance. Now the mortgage company is not going to lend you the money to buy the house without this. So you're going to know about it way in advance. Sellers, you should notify your homeowner's insurance company that you're going to be vacating the house. But just a quick caveat here, it's always wise to tell your insurance agent that you're going to call after the closing to terminate the policy because closings don't always happen as scheduled. For example, you, if you tell the agent you're closing Thursday at 2 o'clock and you want the policy canceled, then what happens if it doesn't close? Your house might be uninsured. That can't happen. So make sure you have insurance coverage until the house changes hands. Uh, the day before, call your attorney or your closing agent and your realtor to verify that everything is on schedule. You can do this two or three days before if you choose to. You're going to gather everything you need to bring with you to the closing. For example, the seller has to bring keys. There might be documents that are necessary to bring. Uh, the buyer might have to bring checks for certain amounts to the closing. Ask your realtor or your, whoever is doing the closing, the closing agent, what you need to bring to the closing and make sure you have it together. Sellers, you're going to want to leave garage door openers, appliance warranty, paperwork, and extra house keys somewhere in the house where the buyers can find, it. usually the kitchen counter or somewhere that's easy to spot. Okay, on closing day, how does, that ha- how does that work? You're going to do a walkthrough. Prior to the closing, the buyers are going to walk through the house. It can immediately precede the closing, or it can take place the day before if you want to do it then. The purpose of the walkthrough Is for the buyers to be satisfied that nothing has changed since the structural inspection which is usually the last time they've been inside the house they'll also be checking to ensure that systems are functioning such as toilets showers heat air conditioning dishwasher everything has to work as it did essentially they have the right to expect the house to be in the same condition as when they agreed to purchase it the role of the seller at the walkthrough is to make sure you're delivering the house to the buyers as promised the house should be thoroughly clean Sweep, vacuum, clean the windows, wipe the counters, etc. It should be completely vacant. Everything should be out, unless they've agreed to buy personal items like their refrigerator or any of your furniture. You can't make a decision the day before that you're just going to leave a sofa thinking they might want it, because maybe they don't, and then you're going to have to get it out. Check for damage. Uh... Damage, sometimes movers cause damage unintentionally, of course, but even when they're careful, they may bump into walls and doors while moving heavy items, causing marks, marks dents or paint chipping. This all has to be fixed. Now, the buyers are going to be checking to confirm that problems you agreed to fix after the structural inspection have been corrected. If you agreed to make a repair and time may have run out, call the realtor or the attorney to offer a financial settlement as an alternative. One really quick story. An agent from my office who specializes in distressed, foreclosed properties sold a house in a rundown neighborhood just after a very heavy snowfall. The structure was a real dump. It was an abandoned crack house that had been frequented by drug users in the past and boarded up by the police a couple of years before. She closed the deal quickly, and several weeks later arrived at the house for the walkthrough before the closing. (laughs) The snow had melted, revealing a corpse in the backyard. (laughs) Needless to say, the closing was delayed while they investigated, but... The moral of the story is this. Prior to putting your house on the market, it's usually best to remove any dead bodies. (laughs) I'd like to thank my guest who was on today, Nathan Stremick of Coldwell Banker First Minot Realty in Minot, North Dakota. If you'd like to contact Nathan, I'm going to give you his email address again. It's nathans.minot at gmail.com. N-A-T-H-A-N-S dot minot, M-I-N-O-T at gmail.com. Thanks again, Nathan. I really appreciate it. That's it for this week. Uh, Tune in next week at the same time, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thanks to my engineer, Michael Surgett, and my executive producer, Brandy Jackson. If you missed any part of today's show or you want to listen again, go to my show page right here on voiceamerica.com. Have a great week. I'm Duncan Smythe. This
0: has been House Talk. Thank you again for tuning in to House Talk with Duncan Smythe. Like us on Facebook and join us again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety channel. Have a great week.